0: place. We'll be reading in Luke 11, starting verse 14 through verse 26, an encounter Jesus has with uh, skeptics and critics and his strongly worded responses. It's a very sobering passage as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. The gospel of Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Now he, Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God Has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when a stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Thus far we read in God's good and holy word, may he bless it to all who hear, believe, and obey. Amen. Amen. Jesus is bringing good news of the kingdom. He's drawing near with hope and help. And people are reacting differently to that. He's not only preaching the kingdom of God as it is near, but he's doing miraculous, powerful signs to confirm his message. So, people are hearing and seeing, and many are following. In this episode, Luke has gathered it and tells us that a miracle that Jesus performed triggers a critical accusation. And Jesus responds not simply to give an answer, but to go on the offense of himself against the spiritual forces of blindness and darkness. Jesus is quite serious here about the dangers of delaying or disbelieving. And certainly the dangers of being divided or indecisive as to who he is. Who do you think Jesus is? As you encounter story after story from the Bible, as you encounter Christian after Christian, whether in your youth or even today, Do you see who Jesus is and what he is doing by his power? And what do you do in response? Does your response to Jesus fall short? It's possible. That's the tension of this passage. What do I make of Jesus when he tells me this good news and he shows me his power? The sermon title is Kingdom Contentions because the word contention has to do with argument and decision and and, and grappling with opinions. Yes, the word contention can even mean a heated disagreement. It has a negative overtone. Not just academic debating contentions, but a point firmly made with unction. The word contention comes from the Latin to strive with. And you know what? Although we have a very contentious culture, I don't think our culture is really striving with truth and reality as it should. We're striving with opinions and posturing. May the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of God's Word, clarify our thinking today so that we can perceive a right The presence of the kingdom of God in this place. As we look at the first section here, verses 14 to 19, the first half of our passage, we see all these contentions being laid out and we see Jesus replying to them. And uh, we look at particularly two forms of attack against Jesus and I've given them names, uh, not, to, not just to nickname them or ridicule them, but trying to give some accuracy. We have first the ditherers and then the accusers. There's the word for today, dither. Boys and girls, you probably haven't heard that. Dither dally. or dither. It's someone who can't make a decision. And Jesus encounters these ditherers. They are passively contentious. And you certainly know the type for they fill our culture. It's it's really a faux pas in our culture to be openly aggressive and contentious. Don't want that. But when people are passively aggressive or ditherers, that's also a concern. So what do we have happening here? Jesus heals a man who was mute, unable to speak because of demonic possession. And when Jesus casts out the demon, the man is able to speak. What does he say? Well, he testifies, oh, oh, thank you, the demon is gone. Praise God, thank you, Jesus. And interestingly enough, no one questions whether the demon was exercised and is gone. That's that's a, a point that everyone concedes here. Everybody marvels. Wow, look at that. A healing took place. But you know what? People aren't sure how it happened And then we have some ditherers, and then some people have an idea how it happened, and they make accusations. We'll get to them in a minute. These ditherers may marvel, but they do not properly acknowledge Jesus or his power. Indeed, as one commentator said, these quiet ditherers slander Jesus by their indifference. Have you ever shared news with someone and you know they're not listening or they don't get it because they don't react? Oh, hey, by the way, I just I just uh, got a promotion at work and a million dollar bonus. OK, how are you feeling? You know, people don't react with your news. You know, they're not listening. They're not judging. It's inappropriate, their response Here, Jesus pushes back demonic powers, frees a child, probably an Israelite, uh, from that captivity. Everyone's celebrating, but some are kind of saying, well, I don't know. I don't know. What else do they say? As Luke records it so carefully for us. um, uh, People marveled, but some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub. We'll get to them in a minute. Uh, But others... Verse uh, 16, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Uh, can you do something else? That, that, that's interesting and everybody's marveling, but what else do you got? Their indifference and indecision is really a, a, a cordial mask for their disbelief. They don't see Jesus as credible. They seek a sign, even though they've already had many signs. And this one in their midst. Most likely the people present knew that man. That locale. It reflects sheer unbelief. And these ditherers uh, antagonize the Lord Jesus Christ. He will speak to them. Even as he speaks to the accusers. The second group here uh, that speak very bluntly when Jesus performs this healing, some of them said he casts out demons. Oh, we saw that, but he does it by Beelzebul. He's in cahoots with the devil. This is an allegation that Jesus is in allegiance with the devil. The only way you were able to command those demons is because you're part of that system, that dark kingdom. Beelzebul, a Bible name, that's followed into American culture and literature in many ways, goes back to the pagan god Baal, Baal, and the Hebrew word for excrement. So we politely say Beelzebul means lord of the flies, but the flies are there because of The excrement. It's bad. It's a horrible title. It's the worst title for this demon and it would also be applied to the devil himself. Peter Jeffrey in his commentary says, Applied to Jesus, this title is not merely derogatory, but the worst sort of insult possible, a real blasphemy. Blasphemy. Saying to Jesus, you're doing that by the power of the devil. The complete opposite to the reality. How does Jesus handle that? We'll see. He grabs it head on. But you see, these accusers, they've come right out and say, we see what you did, but we think you've done it through underhanded means and through evil powers. They're calling good evil. It's the heart of blasphemy. There are people in the world that see Jesus, see Christianity, and and refer to it in the worst of terms, the opposite of what the reality is. Jesus does reply to these contentions, he takes them up, he shrinks not. Verse seventeen. But he, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, "He's going to speak, and he's going to speak truth and use logic." He says, "Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a household divided falls." You see, if in a household, if in a group or an organization, in in a structure, you have opposing forces, its unity is threatened. Why do we see houses collapse in an earthquake? Well, they're not used to gravity pushing back. Many structures are built to stand this way or to handle sway. Modern architecture does so much if it knows the dangers and potential forces. But in many repo- remote areas such as we've seen in Morocco, a, a house wasn't built to withstand opposing forces from multiple directions and the house collapses. Jesus is saying something very similar here. If the members of a household, the members of an organization are at odds with one another, the unity is lost and its survival is not long. Like any proverb, this has truth for many applications. Jesus here says, look, if the devil is fighting the devil, what, what's going on there? That is going to be the end. That's not going to promote his cause. It's going to undermine his cause. And you notice what Jesus is doing here by engaging their thinking. He's not simply telling them, uh, no, that's not the way it is. He's going after their thinking. He wants to expose their thinking. He's not, as one person says, assuaging the crowd. He's taking them on. You want to make some accusations? Let me look at your position and take it apart. So Jesus gives this profound statement on a household divided cannot stand. How can Satan's minions be cast out by Satan's power? Ralph Davis, uh, commentator from the South, says it pretty plainly. He says, Satan is evil, but he's not a moron. Why would he attack himself? That's what Jesus is throwing back at them. The idea that Satan was working through Jesus to undermine his own work, that's absurd. And so Jesus says that. You're logically contradicting yourself. You're not making sense. You you have questions about me, but you have no place to stand with that argument. And then there's a further argument that Jesus makes as he speaks to them. Verse 19, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. Not only are you self-contradictory, you're hypocritical given the fact that others in your organization, Jewish people, your sons, other itinerant Jewish exorcists, are doing the same thing I'm doing. Are they using the devil's power? Is that what you're saying or are you being hypocritical? It's a further rebuke to the thinking and the inconsistency of those who wanted to deny Jesus' honor and glory. So who are these sons? Well, there is an episode in the book of Acts that identifies certain Jewish itinerant exorcists. I can tell you it in brief. Acts chapter 19, um, which Luke also penned, he describes this event. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims, Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Shiva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt upon them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded, those itinerant Jewish exorcists. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. An example from Acts 19. In the ancient world, people knew the reality of demons. Jesus acknowledges the reality of evil and demons. They had seen this exorcism. They said, you're doing it by the devil. Jesus says, well, who do you try to do it by? You see, there was a bias and a sinful unwillingness to assess Jesus on his own merits. And this bias of unbelief is attacked by Jesus. And Jesus goes further, not just trying to uh, uh, unveil their contentions as false, but he goes on to speak of him and his kingdom as supreme. Our second heading this morning is Kingdom Supremacy. Supremacy meaning superior to all others. It's the top. Jesus and his kingdom, Jesus and his power is over all. That's what he goes on to assert. Having poked and exposed their thinking. So in verse 20 he says, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is claiming that what he has done is done by the power of God. And he uses this figure of speech, the finger of God. It's it's but a small thing for God, a finger of God. But even more so, this phrase for the miraculous power of God at work in the world has an Old Testament context. It's kind of in your face, Jewish questioners. What I am doing has been done before. Before. The power of God has been present in this world before to do mighty miracles. And in the past, those who saw the miracles accepted it as the power of God. But you don't. Jesus is about to say to those who are questioning him, You're worse than pagan Egyptians when Moses did his miracles before Pharaoh. Let's take a look. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 8 the second book of the Bible. In order to get God's people out of slavery in Egypt, there was the the great exodus. There were ten plagues, ten great signs and wonders to get Pharaoh to let the people go. And then they crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness and met with God at Mount Sinai, the story of the exodus. But to get the people out, there were plagues. And in Exodus chapter 8, There are plagues recorded. The, second plague, the first plague was water turned to blood in chapter 7. The second plague was frogs. And the third plague is where we're going to look. Perhaps the smallest, the gnats, and then followed by flies and others. In Exodus 8, beginning in verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. So that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. And all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats. But they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. And then, verse 19. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This... Is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. It was the third miracle, and they began to testify God is doing this. This is the finger of God. Jesus uses that language with the Jews that questioned him on his way to Jerusalem, who would not accept that he healed a man from demon possession by the power of God. Pharaoh's magicians could see it, and they gave testimony, but you in your blindness will not. I do what I do by the power of God. And to further underline his supremacy and his power, he goes on in verses 21 and 22 back in Luke chapter 11 to give a brief word picture. He talks about a strong man who has his own palace and he's there guarding his goods in his palace and he's secure until what? Until a stronger man comes along. The stronger man seizes the goods. Of the one who thought he was strong and in place. There is an alternate explanation for how that devil got cast out. Not by another devil, but by a stronger man. As Jesus said, verse 21, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But, verse 22, notice Jesus keeps repeating but. He's challenging the thinking and the sinful presuppositions of his audience. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Jesus is saying, I am the stronger man. I have power over these demons. The devil would be overthrown by Jesus at every turn at his temptation at the Garden of Gethsemane and finally completely overthrown at the cross. When Jesus died and said it is finished, it was his victory over Satan, sin and death. When Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 2, he described how Jesus, the stronger one, Won a decisive victory and conquered sin and death. That's what he came into the world to do. Colossians chapter 2 uses this language as he writes to Christians And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. Nailing it to the cross. In Colossians 2:15, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. God gets the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. Jesus is the stronger one. He is never defeated. Even when in the hands of Pilate and Herod during Holy Week, he is successfully accomplishing the mission. They think they've won. The critics who are dismissive of Jesus or who dither and delay deciding anything about Jesus, they think they're safe. But Jesus has said, your thinking is wrong and I'm going nowhere. I am here as the stronger one. Indeed, what does Jesus say here as he unfolds the further aspects of this argument? Verse 20, he said, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus says, I, I'm doing this. I'm here as the stronger one, the powerful one, and I am bringing the kingdom, and the kingdom is here now. That has both good news and bad news. Let's unpack it very briefly. When Jesus brings the kingdom, it's initially good news. God's people were waiting for a Messiah, for a deliverer, for the descendant of David who would sit on the throne and accomplish God's will, the Messiah and as we know from the scriptures, particularly Isaiah and other passages, the one who would come would be first the suffering servant and the Savior. And then at his second coming, the conqueror and king to inaugurate the new heavens and new earth. Jesus, when he first brings the kingdom, calls for those to follow him and trust him as he comes to win our salvation. The kingdom God's rule in the hearts and minds of His people. Men and women and boys and girls experiencing the new birth and walking in step with God become part of His kingdom work. That's good news. The kingdom has come. There is deliverance for you from your demons. There is deliverance for you from your sin and your guilt. The coming of the kingdom is good news. But you dither and dather and doubt. Do you really need another miracle? My friends, we see Jesus it, not with any sinful connotation. He's had enough. And he speaks bluntly, and sometimes we don't let that voice be heard. He says, I am who I am and I'm here and I've done what I've done by the power of God. The kingdom is here and that can be good news for you or it can be bad news. To refuse the king, to refuse the Messiah is to reject the God who sent him. How many times did Jesus say to the Jewish leaders who who kept riding the fence and deriding the teachings of Jesus, if you knew Moses, you would know who I am. If you really knew the Scriptures, you'd be on board and you'd be welcoming me. The kingdom is good news. The very previous passage Verse 13, right before where we started, Jesus was talking about how God as a father is so much better than human fathers. He says he's ready to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. God is ready to forgive you and adopt you and put his spirit upon you. The kingdom is at hand. But you guys keep dithering and dathering, doubting and accusing and blaspheming. And those days will end. Jesus said further a couple of things that are potent here as our text in Luke chapter 11 continues. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me. That's a declarative. Many times Jesus has said, follow me come unto me all ye who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, look, you're either with me or you're not. If you're not with me, you are against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. What gathering? The the preaching of the kingdom. The, The making known of the good news. And a right response to God. And on the heels of verse 23, 24 through 26, are that unusual description of the wandering demons. And we almost don't want to touch it. What do we do with this? Uh, the unclean spirit that's been cast out of a person, it wanders around. But you know what? It comes back, and if it finds the house empty, it gets a few more demons and they all move in. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying it's time to choose sides, it's not enough just to be opposed to the demons. You have to welcome the kingdom of God. It's not enough to say, oh yeah, this man who was demon possessed, he's healed. But we don't like the way you did it. So we're going to stay here and not join you, Jesus. Jesus requires choosing sides. If you have this religious veneer, but inside is this vacuum. You don't want the devil, but you don't want the Messiah that vacuum will only be filled again with evil. If there's no real inner change, if there is no regeneration, if someone becomes religious without being born again, the inner places will be corrupted without the power of God at work within Ralph Davis says a spiritual vacuum unfilled with commitment to Jesus. Jesus says with me, whoever is not with me, a vacuum unfilled with commitment to Jesus is leaving itself open to utter spiritual ruin. My friends, hear what the Bible says. Jesus is just not an accessory for your life. He is the Lord. The only way by which we might be in right relationship with our creator. And the only way we'll be saved from his wrath at the day of judgment. Jesus requires choosing side. It's not just enough to to have the religious veneer and sweep your life clear of obvious evil things. He says that's not enough. Jesus says you've got to be with me. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A house that's empty has no life. It's interesting that uh, our text about a house divided against itself was used by Abraham Lincoln back in 1858. You may have heard that story. He was nominated to run for the U.S. Senate, uh, and he was grabbing the nomination at a uh, Republican convention in Springfield. They didn't want it to go to Stephen A. Douglas, Lincoln would eventually lose. But in his speech on that uh, June evening, he quoted, a house divided itself cannot stand because the party that was opposing slavery was still fighting for that, and the nation itself was being torn in two. And that will not last. Something must happen to break that deadlock. Jesus here speaks that truth to the people of Israel as he's moving towards Jerusalem that those who meet him and hear him would be brought to a decision about him. It brings me to make three closing applications. Let's look at those. Number one, face the evidence face the evidence jesus says take a look at what i've just done there's more than one explanation you say it's the devil bossing around himself that's stupid a house divided will fall abraham lincoln spoke those words he said uh, to rouse the people The proposition, he said, is indisputably true. I want to use some universally known figure expressed in simple language as universally known that it may strike home to the minds of men in order to rouse them to the perils of the time. What a great speech maker. A good president when he made it. Are we aware of the realities of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, his claim to be king with the power of God, to be the stronger one. Are we looking at that evidence? Or are we remaining among the ditherers, unwilling to decide? Philip Ryken says, we see this dithering today and this opposition today. He says, most people do not think of themselves as being against Jesus but they are not entirely for him either. They're willing to admire Jesus from a distance as long as he does not make too many demands upon their obedience. Jesus is not pleased when we dither, when he has made it clear we should choose Christ, follow Christ, trust Christ. And that's our second exhortation. Trust Jesus as your strong Savior from your sin, from yourself, from the evil one, from this world. A Savior is needed. Just like the man who was demon-possessed could not free himself, we cannot free ourselves. And it's good news that God so loved the world He sent His one and only Son as a Savior. And I would add a footnote here, trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord, I think puts us into the family of God that we need to be more trusting one of another. And perhaps there are further applications of a house divided that God's people need to hear in this day and age. You see, Israel was divided over Jesus. They preferred their own bias as to what's right. We don't like Jesus, so there's got to be another explanation for what's happening here. Christians today are saying, I have suspicions about that Christian, so I've got to pitch my own ideas. And we can become unduly critical of other believers and contribute to a divided house. Trusting Jesus requires us to at least have a default position of trusting and respecting other believers, other disciples of Jesus. And oh, how careful we need to be, lest we miss the work of God in our day. And the final exhortation comes from what Jesus said, when he said, whoever does not gather with me scatters. We need to serve. We need to gather with Jesus. If we've come to him, we believe in him, we're decisive, then we serve and we gather with him. There should be no divisions among us, but we should be of the same mind and the same goals. We gather here at church not just to be happy in Jesus, but to honor and serve Jesus, to be equipped to go forward to make him known. Are we with him? Then let us gather with him. Go out and do the gospel work that he's called us to do. And what a wonderful note of application on our Covenant Sunday as we gather again at the start of the school year as a local church in this place. Given all the resources of the kingdom of God, may we here together serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word from the Gospel of Luke. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who does not shy away from showing his power or speaking the truth. Father, may the truth of Jesus, the preaching of the Bible, the convicting work of your Holy Spirit conform us to the truth. Father, shake those who dither and dally, those who delay and doubt. Help them to face the evidence and face their irrational beliefs and bow the knee to Jesus Christ. May truth win the day. Father, we pray by your grace and mercy that you fill us with an undivided heart and a beautiful unity in the Gospel. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.